God bless the reading of his word this morning. Well, the title of this sermon is Gospel Giving. Before we dive into the sermon, let's breathe a word of prayer and ask God for help. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come to worship you in song with our Bibles in hand without any fear of persecution and punishable by death. We thank you for the freedom of sin. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. We thank you for the gift of your word who continues, or that continues to instruct us and to sanctify us and to make us be more like Christ. For that reason, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to the wondrous things of your law, that we may behold them and be transformed by him for your glory alone, and for the namesake of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In his precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we heard from Tim that gospel content or gospel doctrine creates a gospel culture. So in this mini-series, we also heard that to be a gospel church... We are to be a compelling community. We have this transforming message, and we are to be a compelling community to our city and to the spheres of our influence. Last week, we heard, we saw, and we tasted the gospel on display during communion as we celebrated communion together last week. And a few minutes ago, we heard of the gospel on display as it relates to water baptism. At Trinity, we want more than just a gospel doctrine. We want a gospel culture. Here's why. These are some of the thoughts that Tim shared last week. I want to connect last week to this week. And by the way, this is the last sermon of this series. Next week, we'll start into Isaiah. Yes. So why do we not only want gospel doctrine or gospel content? And why do we want gospel culture? Well, Ray Ortland puts it this way. Gospel doctrine, gospel knowledge, head knowledge minus gospel culture, living out our lives is equal to hypocrisy. Do you see? Knowing the gospel without living out the gospel is equal to hypocrisy. As Christians, if we don't live lives as Christians, we lose our credibility. Do you understand that? Gospel culture, gospel living in other words, minus gospel doctrine is fragility, meaning that if we do gospel work, but it's not motivated by the gospel, then our gospel work will not have any lasting effects. You understand that? We can do good works, but if it's not motivated by the work of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, then we won't last very long. Now, here's the goal that we're aiming for this morning as it relates to gospel on display. Gospel doctrine plus gospel culture, gospel knowledge plus gospel living, in other words, is equal to power. Here's Alex's translation of that mathematical equation. If we know the gospel and its power and we live out the gospel in our lives, we will have power and the strength to persevere any endurance, any obstacles that seeks to impede us from our gospel work. So gospel doctrine or gospel content plus gospel culture is power. When we do gospel work motivated by the gospel, it will be empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want at Trinity. 
Now, there are different or numerous ways that we can put the gospel on display, right? We heard last week about how the gospel is displayed by the celebration of communion. We heard again earlier how the gospel is displayed in water baptism. What about serving? How can we display gospel, the gospel in our serving? Well, in in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And so this is how we can put the gospel on display in our individual lives by being humble servants, being servant leaders. So what about in the area of forgiveness? If you're in a relationship, you're going to need to forgive, right? You're going to need to forgive. So, I pause because I have so many thoughts that are encroaching in my mind. I need to stick to the, the manuscript. Um, forgiveness. How do we display the gospel in the area of forgiveness in our lives? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us. So we can display the gospel in our forgiving of each other. How do we do that? Well, we forgive each other as God forgave us in Christ Jesus. We can also display the gospel in our marriage, right? Ephesians chapter five talks about how wives can put the gospel on display. Verses 22 and following says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is significant scriptural understanding of the doctrine of submission. Here's how you can display submission with the gospel. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. He also says that as the church submits to Christ, submit to your husbands. Listen, Christ submitted to God the Father's plan of redemption. God planned redemption. Christ went and accomplished redemption. And God the Holy Spirit applied it into our hearts. And so because of this redemptive plan to save sinners like you and me, Christ obeyed or submitted to the Father's will so that you and I can experience eternal life. Do you see how beautiful submission is when it's in the context of the gospel? When you do so with your husbands, you are displaying the gospel. I didn't forget about you, husbands. How can we put the gospel on display as husbands? Verse 25 and following says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Here's a purpose statement. So that, why should we give ourselves up for our wives? Why should we sanctify her with the washing of the water with the word? Here's why. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, did you hear that? We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church who gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having washed her with the water of the word, so that when we present our wives back to God, she will be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she will be holy and without blemish. That is the gospel on display in our marriage. 
Well, what about giving? How can we display the gospel on the topic of giving? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 shows us how we can display the gospel in our giving. Now, before we dive into the sermon deeper, I just want to make some disclaimers. No, Tim does not need a brand new truck. And no, I don't need a swimming pool or a bigger house. And no, the church is doing fine paying the bills. Okay? Um, there is no other reason to bring a giving message other than it's part of the series on the gospel on display. It is the word of God. And because it is the word of God, we make no apologies on preaching sermons about giving. Because if you understand it rightly, giving is such a blessing. We can't afford not to give. But we need to have a right understanding of gospel giving in order to experience the true blessing and longevity of giving. So before we dive into the text, I want to give us some background history about what was taking place at the time in Corinth so that we can put our text into the proper context. Do you you follow me? So after founding the Corinthian church, during his second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul stayed in Corinth and ministered there for about 20 months. And then he left Corinth and went to Ephesus. Now, by this time, Paul had already formulated a plan to receive an offering to give to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Well, why were there poor Christians in Jerusalem? Here's why. After their conversion to Christ, many of the Jews in Jerusalem became ostracized, both socially and economically. It is said that Jews in Judea were subject to a crippling twofold taxation system, both Jewish and Romans, which in the first century, it is said that it was as high as 40%. That's why there were poor Christians in Jerusalem. It wasn't only as a result of persecution, but it was also just a devastated economy. At first, the congregation in Corinth responded positively. But after the opponents of Paul came into Corinth from the east, well, they led a rebellion against Paul and the collection temporarily halted. So Paul dealt sternly with this rebellion in a letter known as the severe letter, which is lost. He wrote this letter in between 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And then... By the grace of God, the apostle received some encouraging news from Titus that most of the Corinthians, that that congregation experienced godly grief that led to repentance towards Paul and their disaffection of Paul. You can read about that in chapter 7. We're in chapter 8. Therefore, when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, the letter, he urged them to resume collecting the offering. This is where we drop in into the letter. And I believe that the intended redemptive effect of God's word in Paul's letter to the Corinthians is the same intended effect for us today here at Trinity Community Church. Why? Because for us today, we have the tendency to get distracted. And we have the tendency to forget God's word as it relates to why we give. Why? Well, very often we lose our eternal perspectives of why we give. You and I, we get caught up in the day-to-day busyness of life and we forget that we are on mission and that we are on a glorious mission
According to CNBC, on September 21st, 2017, Mr. Warren Buffett was the most charitable billionaire. He was in the company of the likes of Bill Gates, who is the Microsoft giant, Michael Bloomberg, and Jeff Bezos, who is the Amazon giant. Mr. Warren Buffett gave away $46 billion since 2000, the year 2000. Now, if you're mathematically challenged, which is okay, um, <laughs> um, how much is $46 billion? Well, it's a lot, okay? So if you can think of $1 million and you have 1,000 of those, 46 of those $1,000 million is how much he gave to charity work. Amazing. It is said that he gave 71%, what is it? 71% of his $65.5 billion fortune. Amazing. Amazing. Now, while Mr. Buffett's charity giving is very generous and it is worthy of respect, admiration, and, and recognition, he gave out of his abundance, didn't he? In contrast, the Macedonian churches in Paul's day, during a severe test of affliction, they gave generously out of their extreme poverty. Here's what I believe is the main burden of our text. Giving motivated by the gospel leads to acts of grace that provides for the needs of others in the body of Christ. If I could sum up the entire 15 verses and just think of the main idea, there are all kinds of different ideas that are presented in the 15 verses, but the main thought here that, that the apostle Paul, I believe, is wanting us today to, to get from this text is that giving motivated by the gospel leads to acts of grace that provides for the needs of of others in the body of Christ. And we're going to exposit the scriptures here and flesh out that main theme. Listen, Trinity, if we find our motivation for our giving in the approval of man or in, in earning grace from God or earning favor in God, then I am afraid to tell you that we have seriously misunderstood gospel giving. Gospel giving is motivated by grace and our ultimate example is no other than Jesus Christ himself. But before we get to that example, let's look at the Macedonian churches and their example of gospel giving. That's point number one. Look with me at verses one and two, church. We want you to know brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, the churches that Paul was referring to were the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Macedonia was the ancient kingdom of Alexander the Great, and it was located on the northern portion of modern Greece. Now, at the time of Paul's writing, Macedonia was a very poor region. It was born in affliction. It was ravaged by wars and was plundered by the Romans. These are the churches who gave generously. Needless to say, they didn't let their, their circumstances limit their finan financial resources of giving. 
to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. You know, it, the, 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 the Macedonian churches, it, it's not like the houses in the neighborhoods in Vieira, right? Where, where their garages can actually fit my entire house. They're, they're, well, they're just affluent people. No, they were very, very poor people. As a result of persecution, their economic status had dropped to its lowest and they were reduced to rock bottom poverty. However, in their rock bottom poverty, they gave generously. Verse two can be translated, their exuberant joy and rock bottom poverty combined to overflow in lavish generosity. It blows my mind. How can this be? Well, their giving was done, motivated by the grace of God that was at work in their transformed hearts. Trinity, the Macedonian churches not only got the gospel content or the gospel doctrine, they were also living out their lives in a community that is culture related to the gospel or gospel culture. They not only got the head knowledge of Christ saving grace and his death on the cross in their head and were already transformed, but they lived out their lives in a gospel-centered culture. They expressed that in one way in their giving. They didn't give back then like we give today, right? Most of us give out of our abundance. But they gave out of their lack. They gave sacrificially to the needs of others. When the apostle Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others the Macedonian churches got it. They not only understood it and got it, but they sought to apply that literally. Now, Paul didn't commend them for their good works. No, the point of this verse is that they gave because of the grace that was given to them in verse 1. In the midst of trials and persecutions, they didn't allow their circumstances to stop them from giving to others. They were giving towards the need of others of whom they have never met and perhaps will never meet. They put the needs of others before their very own Trinity, this is giving motivated by the grace of God. For us today at Trinity, our gospel giving is primarily for the purpose of advancing God's kingdom and for the proclamation of the gospel. And through our gospel giving, by God's grace, this church will grow and our giving will, will go towards those who are not yet here, who have yet to come to saving faith. Through our financial support of our gospel mission, by God's grace, this ministry will continue to grow and some of those who will benefit from it will be our very own children. Giving advances his kingdom. It brings glory to God and it meets the needs of others. Here's a bit of history for you as it relates to my family. Before coming to Trinity Community Church, I thank God for those who were here before me because they practiced faithful gospel giving. When Melinda and I first came to this church, we only had one son and he was two years old. Many of you served in childcare and held him in your arms. Now we have three boys. And by the grace of God, we believe, we believe 
that they have all three come to saving faith. Now, for Melinda and me as parents, there's no greater goal. God used the preaching of the gospel and the teaching and the training of this church to bring our boys to saving faith. Church, gospel giving brings forth eternal dividends. However, gospel giving can also be provision to our brothers and sisters in Christ who find themselves in need. Earlier this year, we had the Grace Partnership Leaders Conference, and we were able to provide for the transportation cost, flight cost, flight travel, and lodging for the foreign pastors who wanted to attend. And so, Trinity, thank you for giving toward this need. You, you made it possible for Vladimir from Ukraine to come and be encouraged and be envisioned as to our gospel mission together. You made it possible for Anish and his wife from India to come. You made it possible for Johnny from Bolivia, Bolivia to be refreshed and to be ministered to at the conference. And you also helped purchase a plant or you also help purchase and plant coconut trees so that Casa de Esperanza, this orphanage in Bolivia, will one day be self-sustaining. You help with the cost for, for putting in a deep well so that this orphanage with, I don't know, probably up to 70 plus uh, orphans can have safe drinking water. Perhaps in the near future, we will have the opportunity to give towards a church in the Bahamas, but we're waiting to get further um, direction of a church that we know of personally. Here's what we can glean from the Macedonians' example. Giving is not a matter of how much but it is an expression of an unselfish and loving heart. Look with me at verse three. Look in the Bible or look at your Bible and look with me at verse three. For they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord. Paul in verse three gave us his first hand account of their giving. They gave beyond what one could expect from very poor congregations. They gave joyfully to support the needs of fellow saints in Jerusalem. Church, this is an example of gospel on display. This was a picture of sacrificial giving. Their giving church, the Macedonian churches, was an example and a demonstration of their trust in God for their future needs. They lived out their lives by faith and not by sight. And they gave of their own accord. They weren't coerced to give. Paul didn't manipulate them in any way. They freely gave out of their poverty. It continues to be amazing and gets amazing. Look with me at verse four. Begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul didn't pressure them into giving. They begged and they pleaded for the opportunity to give. Gospel giving is so countercultural, isn't it? Amazing. The word favor there is commonly translated grace. They literally begged and pleaded for the blessing or the favor or the grace of helping to meet the needs of believers they had never met. What's amazing about this is that they did not do so out of obligation, but it is out of their generosity of their hearts that were transformed by the gospel. This is giving motivated by grace. 
they didn't give to earn grace or favor from God. No, they gave because the grace of God was given to them. Verse one. Look with me at verse five. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The word first there, do you see that word first? Well, that does not indicate or that doesn't mean first in time, but it means first in, in, in priority. You see, the Macedonian churches first gave themselves to the Lord or they, de- they rededicated themselves to the Lord and then the result of their devotion to the Lord was an outpouring of their financial giving. See, church, here's the key to understanding and applying gospel giving When believers give themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord, they're not going to have any difficulty in offering their finances and resources to him. The churches in Macedonia not only worshiped God in singing in the hymns, they not only worshiped God in the preaching and teaching of the word, but they also worshiped God in their giving. Verses six and seven, Paul tells us that Titus had begun to take up a collection a year before to complete the acts of grace. Verse six says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had stated, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Though the Corinthian church was a very troubled church, they were also very spiritually gifted. Paul encouraged the Corinthians who were excelling in their faith, in their speech and knowledge to also excel in their act of grace in the area of giving. You see, God has been at work in their hearts, causing them to grow. And Paul encouraged the Corinthian church to express their growth in their giving as well. Look with me at verse eight. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. Paul clearly in his exhortation to the Corinthians towards faithful giving that he was not speaking by way of a command. He never mentioned an exact amount. He never mentioned an exact percentage or the Corinthian giving would have been done out of obedience to a command. But he did urge them to follow the examples that the Macedonian churches had set before them in the area of faithful giving. You see, church, the true test of genuine love is not shown in feeling, but it's shown in action. The sacrificial, faithful, and generous giving by the Macedonian churches was a great example to point the Corinthian church to, and it's also a great example to point us to today. Now, Paul turns to our supreme example of gospel giving. Look with me at verse nine. Gospel giving by Jesus Christ, he is our ultimate example. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The Macedonian churches got it. They were well aware of the one who is worthy of all praise. He became poor to make those who are unworthy like me and you rich. This is by far the greatest example of gospel giving. This person, Jesus Christ, is not just some person. No, he is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. 
Paul refers to Jesus Christ using his full name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is the name that was given to him by God the Father after he accomplished redemption for us. Jesus means that he is the savior of God's people and Christ describes him as the anointed Messiah and King who was prophesied to come to save sinners from ultimate death and he is the one who came and did the very thing. Trinity, he is the ultimate giver. He gave it all. He gave his life. Now, the main thrust of this verse can be easily lost in how you and me relate to value of material things. When we read this passage in 2020, the thrust and the meaning of this word can be easily lost because of our economic mentality. We, te- we, we, we tend to, to attach value with material things. The phrase that though he was rich, his riches does not primarily refer to the material things he possessed while he was here on earth. No, the riches that Paul is talking about that he cast aside were his divine glory, his heavenly privileges, his power and authority. That's the riches that Paul was talking about. When he says, for your sake, he became poor, this does not primarily refer to the financial poverty during his life and ministry here on earth. No, he became poor when he did not count equality with with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and became a bond servant. He became poor when he made himself a slave. He became poor in his incarnation by taking on human flesh. He was born of woman. In his his incarnation, Jesus became subject to time and place and every temptation common to man. He experienced every limitation. He experienced weakness. He experienced thirst. He experienced hunger and pain. He experienced sadness and temptations, yet he remained sinless. The two words, so that, that's a purpose statement. Why did he become poor? So that you by his poverty might become rich. Now again, let's throw away or cast aside our American mentality of riches and poverty. We tend to attach them to material things, right? If you drive a Porsche to Trinity Community Church, you're considered a rich person. Paul used the term rich and poor, not in a material sense, but he used it in a spiritual sense. He didn't come to die for us so that we can be materially rich. He didn't come to die for us so that each one of us could own a mansion on the top of the hill with an Olympic-sized swimming pool with a Hummer in the garage with a big flat-screen TV. If he came to die so that we can be rich like that, I don't want it. All those things will all end up in the dump one day. My goodness. No, he died for us, church, so that we can experience the greatest blessing, our salvation, so that we can experience the forgiveness of sins. He came and made himself poor so that we can be rich in his blessings of salvation so that we can enjoy peace, joy, hope, and assurance in this turbulent world. He came so that we can experience the greatest blessings of freedom from sin's destructive power. 
We are rich because he came so that we can experience eternal life with him where there will be no strife. Well, there will be no need of forgiveness. Well, there will be no pain. There will be no sickness. There will be no tears. He came so that we can experience the rich, richness of his blessings. Peter calls these riches, listen to this, as an inheritance which is imperishable. All the Porsches and the Lamborghinis, they'll all rust one day and end up in the junkyard. But the riches that we inherit is imperishable and undefiled and will not rust or moth will not destroy it, but will not fade. Let me read that so I don't break up this statement. As an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade. This is the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. Reserved in heaven for us. Amazing. Gospel giving has eternal value for me and for you. We are now heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What motivates us to give freely, generously, and sacrificially is the biblical truth that we have been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Therefore, Trinity, our giving is a natural outflow of what we have been given. Again, reject the thought of material things. Let's look at point number three. Paul now turns to the Corinthians and encourages them to finish what they started. Gospel giving is a result of faithful stewardship. In light of Christ's example, in light of the purpose of his giving, Paul encouraged the Corinthian church to finish the act of giving. You see, they had a desire the past year. We see this in 2 Corinthians 9 2, but it would be rendered meaningless this desire to give a year ago if they didn't complete it. Listen, if you have started, if you haven't started to give, then I want to encourage you to start giving financially, not just uh, with your resource or not with just your energy and your time, but give financially. You can't afford not to give. I want you to be encouraged to think of eternal perspectives. When you give each Sunday, you are giving toward a future that perhaps you won't see. That's the truth. It will be for the benefit of those who will become in need. It will be for the benefit of those who are not yet here, who have still not yet come to know Jesus Christ as, as their Lord and Savior. And if you have been giving, then don't stop giving. Think eternal perspectives. Paul had instructed the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 16 that on the first day of the week, each one of them were to put aside and save as he or she may prosper so that when he returned to, to Corinth, that there would be no collection to be made. And so this communicates that giving is to be systematic and consistent and it is to be orderly. It is to be a routine exercise on the Lord's day. Look with me at verse 12. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Paul certainly expected for the Corinthian church to give generously, but he did not expect him to give beyond their means. Now, the Macedonians gave according to what they had and beyond 
Well, what does that mean? Well, it really means that they gave sacrificially. They gave monies that could have been used for their own necessities. Now, if you faithfully and generously give to the gospel mission of Trinity Community Church, do you ever think about what you can do with that money? Oh, man, I do. Today, today, I know of families who desire to be frugal, and they're nowhere close to the examples of the Macedonian churches, but they could probably eat out more, but they choose to eat in more. They shop at Aldi's, no offense, Richard, instead of Publix. <laughs> They drink lightning soda instead of Mountain Dew. Dr. Check instead of Dr. Pepper. They could wear brand quality clothes and shop at Macy's. Instead, they shop at the Goodwill and the the clearance racks at Target and Walmart. They shop at outlet stores where most of the clothes have irregularities in them. They could have all the channels for all the movies and all the TV shows and all the football games. Instead, they have an antenna. They could have the fastest internet. Instead, they choose one of the slower speeds. Their, old, their vehicles are older, but they're paid for. You see, these families don't go all out on these things so that they can faithfully give to our church. It is so that others can benefit from the blessings that they have received from God. This is gospel giving church. It's in light of those who have yet had not come to saving faith in Christ Jesus and for those who will find themselves in need. These aren't the same sacrifices that the Macedonian churches experience, but they are sacrifices and privileges and benefits that they could have. Paul is clear that a person should not give of what they don't have. Believers should not borrow to give. Again, since Paul did not give a specific amount or percentage, the amount is not the point. The main point in gospel giving is the attitude of the heart. Gospel giving is out of a heart of worship. Gospel giving is done with a cheerful and joyful heart. We give because the grace that has been given to us. God expects for believers to give in proportion to their resources. It isn't really about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. I'm almost done. A few years ago, one of our single income families came to a season of their lives where they had to have their roof replaced or they would lose their home insurance. And with the hurricanes that we have, this was a pretty big deal. I couldn't afford it. You know, if you're a homeowner, roofs are very expensive. So as a church, we put together a rummage sale and all the proceeds went to this particular family. And this family sought to intentionally pull all of their financial resources together towards this new roof. And that wasn't enough. Later, we received a special offering to make up the difference of the cost of the roof. And Trinity, large sums of money came in and small sums of money came in. It's really not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. And to the glory of God, this family was able to get their roof replaced. You see, church, I believe as a church, if we continue to give faithfully, and generously and consistently, it will bring greater unity to us as a body of believers to the glory of God. I'll skip a few parts of my exposition, verses 13 through 15. I'll just close with this. Gospel giving 
is for the purpose of advancing God's kingdom. It is for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the world so that the nations can come to saving faith and experience the blessings that the gospel brings. So how do we sustain gospel giving? Two ways. We keep our focus on our great mission, our great gospel mission. The second one is we keep our focus on our ultimate example of gospel giving, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Worship team, will you please join me at the platform? Let's respond in singing. Because of Christ's gospel giving of his life. Let's pray. Will you stand with me, church? Father, we thank you for sending your son who gave his life so that those who were unworthy and in need of saving could experience your grace. We thank you that you not only have saved us, but you give us the knowledge and the wisdom and the ability and the capacity to do what we do to earn a financial living. You really are the ultimate source of everything that we have. And we thank you that we have the opportunity to give generously and faithfully with joyful hearts. I pray that as we behold the the glorious news of the gospel, that it would not only be head knowledge, but it would translate into gospel culture. That we would put the gospel on display in our giving for your glory and for the good of your people. We praise you, be worshiped, be magnified, Lord Jesus, as we sing back to you. Amen.